podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. This is the review of the year. We're looking back on 2017. I was joined by Neil Folds in the mid-session between... Neil Robertson and Chao Yupeng in the recent Scottish Open final. So obviously we don't talk about who won that, but we go through all the other major events of 2017. A memorable year in the world of snooker. I hope you enjoy it and the podcast will return next year. Right, we're going to start not with the Masters, but uh, on January the 2nd, uh, seven hardy snooker players pitched up at the Championship League and one of them was Ryan Day. Now, bear in mind since January the 2nd, no one's really practised. So it showed a great commitment to, to turn up but Ryan ended up playing in seven of the eight groups of the Championship League. He got to the overall final, lost to John Higgins. And all the match play that he had clearly bore fruit because he then had a great spell because eventually he got back in the top 16 didn't have to qualify for Sheffield. I think the Championship League is a bit of a law unto itself, isn't it? It's a strange tournament because there's no spectators. Uh, there was a couple of 147s that year uh, in, at the start of the year, wasn't there, for Mark mm. Davis and... All you can hear is his footsteps walking back to his chair, no one clapping because nobody there. So it's a strange old little world. Yeah, and clearly if you can play in every group, you're getting the best practice there is. You're, you're, you're playing match play. If you do lose and you go out, well, it's not the end of the world. I don't think I've anyone seen anyone devastated to lose in the Championship League. But when it gets towards the end, you know, it's very, very serious. And, you know, uh, Ryan uh, definitely... Um, he appreciated all the, all the practice that got him going and look he's had a pretty good year hasn't he all things considered mm. it's inter- the Championship League is interesting because these days quite rightly you know, a lot of effort is made at these events to involve the public you know, social media in particular and try and sort of bring people in and make them part of it the Championship League is the op- opposite you can't go and watch <laughs> in public uh, you're not really welcome because of course we don't want people turning up as it's set up for betting and sort of cheating the system with laptops and whatever so it's a bit of a mysterious world to a lot of people but as I say for Ryan Day it made a big difference. The Masters a little bit more of a, of, a, of a big deal, I guess. First day of the Masters, Liang Wenbo had a black to beat Ronnie O'Sullivan 6-4. He missed it, and Ronnie won his seventh title a week later. How many times out of ten would he put it? Probably eight, nine, maybe. He just hit the near jaw, and uh, the rest is history. And you know, Ronnie didn't play all that well in that whole Masters. It's a great tournament for him. He loves it there, doesn't he, having won it seven times. Um, he played one good part of a match, I thought, against Marco Fu, devastating towards the end of uh, that semi-final. And in the final, he went behind against Joe Perry. But it's a tournament he loves, and it seems it's a tournament he can win without even playing anywhere near his best, because uh, he gets a great support in London, as you'd expect, really. And uh, I wouldn't back against him winning it again, either in 2018 or beyond. Yeah, he seemed he was prepared to dig in. He certainly had to do that in the final against Joe Perry when he was behind early on but like you say it kind of suits him it's the one table big crowd big London crowd and uh, yeah an incredible record of success there and as you say probably not done yet with the Masters but uh, the next tournament well this is one of the great stories of the year Anthony Hamilton of course we'd seen Mark King in Belfast last year win his first ranking title after turning pro in 1991 and then Anthony Hamilton who and I guess by this stage him and Ryan Day were sort of had the tag best players never to win the ranking event he won one the German Masters and he had his parents there it was just a great story it was he was behind wasn't he um, going into the last session 5-3 I was actually flying back with Phil Studd um, because I was uh, working on a tournament the next day so I didn't see the last session but from 5-3 when we got on the flight when the flight landed he would he think he'd gone 7-5 or 8-5 up so he had a great evening session because it looked to me as if he was going to do well to get to the final and it, yet again it would elude him but I guess the good thing about sport is that when you think you know what's going to happen next i.e. 
uh, you know, in the case of Hamilton, he was going to be a bit of nearly man. He, he he picked up the title, and, and all congratulations. There, you could never see a more popular winner than him, having um, won the German Masters, uh, liked by everybody. Yeah, and a very honest player. I mean, he, I had him on the podcast actually that week in Germany, and he said that you know, been in a couple of finals before and basically bottled them, and certainly bottled the second one against Mark Williams in in Shanghai 2002. And at this stage of his career, you know, you don't think he's going to do it. But I guess with so many opportunities now, so many tournaments, just got to have one good week. And it was nice he took his parents there. He said he took them there because he just loved Berlin and couldn't guarantee he'd qualify again. Obviously didn't expect to be in the final. But, like, you, you're absolutely right. You know, everyone was happy for him. They, they'd seen his career and been spent time with him and just a nice guy. And good to see him coming away with a trophy. Uh, now you were, the tournament you flew to was the World Grand Prix um, in Clandidno, and um, or was it Preston? No, it was yeah, Preston. Yeah, they changed it, didn't they? Anyway, the story there: Barry Hawkins, one of the performances of the season, probably in the final five centuries against Ryan Day, who, who made it a little bit closer at the end. But Barry was playing superbly. Yeah, and I still think about the night before when Ryan beat Marco through one frame. He needed four snookers and won it, and I guess that's how he got there. And but in the final, Barry was playing brilliantly. I was working with Stephen Hendry who was sitting next to me, and he he still cares, you know. He, was, mm. he didn't really want Barry to knock in any more centuries <laughs> and get near those seven he made mm. against Ken Doherty uh, in that UK final. No, at that time, uh, Barry had a, was playing great snooker, you know, uh, as well as anybody. Um, he's not had the best of um, second half of the season, but, you know, at the time, you know, it was a, it was a well-deserved title. And, uh, again, another good guy in the game. And, you know, I, I guess that what it proves is that there are a lot of good players around who are capable of winning because... You know, that's the kind of way the whole year went. Yes, and titles being shared round. I mean, again, straight from there, it was the Welsh Open. Uh, an interesting final between Stuart Bingham and Judd Trump. It was quite tactical. And it was watched by a great tactician, Ray Reardon, who, of course, uh, presented the trophy. Uh, I, I think Judd Trump, you know, he had, a, he had a great season. He was in five finals, but again, just came up short to Stuart Bingham. Yeah, that was a really good final, and uh, Stuart, it was Stuart's turn, you know, it, it seemed to be his turn to win, and I thought Judd took it very well in defeat, he played well all the way through, yes, and uh, you know, Stuart Bingham, who had uh, gone a, quite a while, hadn't he, between winning the World Championship and winning anything else, and we all said, well, he hasn't won anything since the World Championships, and when he won in uh, Cardiff, that was that uh, sort of little stat ending, and uh you know, at the time, I'm sure he felt on top of the world. Of course, he's had a mixed time of things since, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But he played great snooker that week, and I was pleased to see him win. Yeah, and it was great to see Reardon. I mean, he looked fantastic, didn't he? Yeah, well, of course he does. Uh, he's doing very well still. And, uh, yeah, he sat there in the front row uh, next to the guy, John Hill, from uh, Corals. And I think he enjoyed himself, you know. I'm, I'm sure he did. He doesn't get out to much snooker these days. But, he, look, he's a legend, isn't he? He come up to me, and he always calls me Jeff. <laughs> some reason instead of Neil, uh, which I don't mind because that's my dad's name, and yeah. then he just remembers a few seconds later mm. and um, put his arms around me. And Ronnie, obviously, who knows better. No, great to see Ray, and I certainly hope to see him again soon. Had a little reception before the final, and I just watched Ray sort of work in the room and doing putting people at ease with a few little jokes and you know, proper pro because of course he had to learn that through his career. He came up when there were basically no tournaments, he did exhibitions to earn your money, and he had to sort of learn that side of it. And he, he just still got it, and still a, a massive star in the game. Uh, I'm not sure what he would make of the shootout. I don't think it's kind of race thing that. And um, of course, the big story there was it wasn't really Anthony McGill winning it and it being a ranking event. Although those those were big deals. It was that um, Dave Gilbert, Shagu Don match where uh, there was so much noise the ref didn't hear the, the the hooter going off. No, and the marker didn't do anything about it either. It was one of those bad situations. 
Yeah, look, I mean, I, I was working on that, and I, I don't really think it, it. I don't really think it should be a ranking event. Although I've got no strong views, what I do think, I did hear one or two players. I won't mention their names, but they said, "Well, I won't play in this again." And while it's a ranking tournament, I only play it when it's not. So what, what is that about? How does that work? So, you know, as soon as it's not a ranking tournament, you're playing it. What about your actual ranking then? You know, either you don't like the shootout or you do. Yeah. If you don't like it, don't play in it. Whatever the system, but. The boycotting it or doing something, you know, uh, that's against the tournament is not going to work because it's still going to be um, played. And I thought McGill got it dead right after the final. He said, "Are you pleased to win? Uh, thirty-two grand, thirty-two thousand ranking points." Personally, I don't think it should be a ranking tournament, but he took the pr pragmatic approach to playing it and say that, which I thought, you know, his words meant more than someone who, who had sulked. And there were a few, there were one or two people that had, had made that point. I'm not playing it because it's a ranking event. Well, good luck with your ranking then, because it's not going to do any, any good. No, but I, I do feel that there's a general feeling, I think, the shootout might be reaching the end of its shelf life. You know, what about novelties is just they don't last forever. And there's so much other snooker now, popular snooker, you know, the big crowds and, and great stories that, you know, the shootout, it kind of, it was brought in to, as something a little bit different, but I don't know, is it, how long can it continue now? Well, it was brought in by Sky, and who, uh, basically, um, I've really enjoyed you still having worked for Sky, but they've lost patience with snooker. It's brought in as a little novelty event of theirs for a few years. It was up in Blackpool, very good. Taken over by OTV. They like it. All the people behind the scenes like it. The people who work on it love it. Um, you know, 128 players is plenty, isn't it? 64 seemed enough. Um, I, I don't think there's any problem with it, it once a year. Uh, and I don't see any problem with it, you know. Um, T20 cricket's taken over the world, really. If you like, if you like cricket, which I think is, there's too much of that around. I've got no problem with one tournament a year. Probably shouldn't be a ranking tournament, but I think there's worse things happening than that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we move on. Uh, Judd Trump won the Players Championship, another ITV event, and he played well. He beat Marco Fu in the final, and as I say, that was his fifth final of the season, second title. It was all pointing to good things ahead at the Crucible, which which kind of didn't quite come. We'll, we'll move on to the World Championship in due course, but. At that point, Trump, I guess, was underlining his class, underlining his talent, and importantly for him as a top player, actually winning titles, because that's what it's about at that, when you're at that level. Yeah, and that whole series where you've got the uh, World Grand Prix and the Players' Championships, is, uh, of course, the, the, to get into those, you've the one that Barry won, uh, you've got to be in the top 32 in the world on the one year, and then if you then find yourself in the top 16 in the world by the time uh, the, um, the tournament in Clandidno starts, that, that Trump won, then uh, you've got a chance to pull away from anyone below you, and you know I think it's a good addition. I mean, the race to the World Grand Prix and the Players Championship, I think it's very interesting how it works. All the form players are there. Judd Trump's done very well in ITV events, so you know he'd have been delighted to win, and it was good to see him win. I always enjoy watching Judd play, and I'm pleased to see him win. You know, he's sort of a product of uh, down there in Bristol. He played as a 12-year-old, a brilliant player. Still, he's never won the world title, and and that will always. Um, um, dog him until he does but at the moment yeah, I, I enjoy watching him play and it was good to see him win yeah we're talking now sort of March time so everyone now is looking forward to the World Championship the last event before it was the China Open Mark Selby won that and uh, there's this sort of one of the many curses in the game that aren't actually curses is that you, no one wins the China Open and then wins the World Championship of course he went to the Crucible as defending champion and uh, and he won it again and it just seems that that format is made for him he's such a hard match player and he just seems to, to revel in the longer matches. He's so hard to beat now at the Crucible. He did very well to win them both. 
Um, he obviously, as you say, I didn't. I thought that he might not win this year. You know, um, I, I must say that it was not because there's the ability not there. I just thought, well, we've seen the game before. Even Davis, you know, had his lapses when he was a great champion. You know, the year he lost to to Tony Knowles. I know that um, you know he couldn't get over the Crucible curse when he lost to McGill the year after he won it. But he's won three of the last four, so you've got to give him a lot of credit. And yeah, he comes alive at the Crucible. He's just, well, someone's got to beat him every year. It's a bit like what we've been saying about Ronnie O'Sullivan in the second half of the season. You know, someone's got to beat him. And in the World Championships, over 19 frames or probably longer, because if he gets to the first match, you know, you've got to play very well for a long time uh, to beat Selby. And, um, you know, I think that the whole um, the format suits him very well. The fact that it is over so many days, so many sessions, so many frames. Seems to have endless stamina and, and even more so determination. Yeah, and it seems that you know he can have one bad session there, but then he can recover, and then he'll have two really good sessions. He played amazingly well against Marco Fu in the quarterfinals. Just total clearances flying in, big blokes flying in, and then of course he plays he plays Ding in the semis. Now Ding's knocked out Ronnie O'Sullivan. That's a massive win for him. Biggest, he said it was the biggest win of his career. So, but he's climbed one mountain, then he's got another one to climb against Selby over over four sessions, three days. Yes, that's right, and uh, you know the final, the way it worked out with uh, Higgins, uh, quite a long way in front. You thought, well, he's going to win it again here, but again, it just comes down to the determination of Selby. There were a few crucial shots that went one that could have gone a different way, and on the you know on the second day, Mark seemed fresh and John seemed tired, and I, I do slightly, slightly um, don't I don't like the way that the World Championship sometimes ends, where it almost is last man standing. I'm not sure if that's the idea. But ultimately, you know, the best man has won this most years, and three of the last four years it's been Selby, so it was the rightful result. But I don't like the way that players are walking around the table exhausted, because it comes down to more than just your snooping ability. It comes down to how much uh, stamina you've got. Yeah, although of course he, there was that sort of controversy, or what could have been a controversy when it wasn't clear had he rolled up to the black or not, and. Next frame comes out and makes a century, which I think just yeah. underlines his ability to just move on from things and just refocus and, and just totally. play play good match snooker when it really matters. No, absolutely, he's a he's a he's a worthy champion. There's certain events, you know, he doesn't seem to well show up in. I mean, literally, when it comes to some of the home nations, he hasn't played in them all. But other events, like for instance, going back to the tournaments that are on ITV, he's hardly ever done anything in any of those. And the Eurosport tournaments. Home nations, nothing. So um, he's a he's a strange champion. He you know he is the best player. He's got to be. He can't win all these world titles and have all these ranking points unless you are. But there are times when he, you know, he when he's not at his best, he he struggles to put players away. And I've noticed it certainly in the last few tournaments that you know he's not necessarily been at his best, and everything's a bit of a struggle. So he'll find his game again, and when he does, of course, he'll be back to his brilliant self. Yeah, we'll just go back to Judd Trump. Of course, he he lost in the first round. He he seemed to have sort of shoulder problem but also before the tournament began he was sort of talking himself up in a big way in the, in, in the pre-event press which usually only ever backfires he lost to Roy McLeod first round which was a massive shot it was he was 4-0 up as well people forget that that everyone said well Roy's a very difficult opponent well he sure is he's difficult to get away from I think for some of these leading players you know he can't shake him off but Judd led 4-0 and where he lost that match was in the remaining five frames which he lost them all uh, rather than the second session where the pressure came on. They were taken off at 9-7 and he still had a chance. He managed to win the frame 9-8. They came back late in the evening, didn't they? But um, he played a loose shot and then you know, Rory did what was uh, required. He's a very good match player, is Rory McLeod. And that's a major disappointment for Judd because he remains when it comes to the Crucible. You know, you have to go back to 2011 
when he was a surprise finalist, that's his best chance of winning it so far. OK, well, that's the end of the season. There was a, a brief uh, layoff, not very long, and then straight back into it, of course, it was Q School. And then the, the Regan Masters first ranking event of the new season, Ryan Day, I mean, we mentioned Anthony Hamilton uh, sort of carrying around this mantle. He sort of passed it to Ryan Day, best player never to win a ranking event. But then he won one. And again, it was the same thing, really. You know, everyone's seen that Ryan's been a good foot soldier over the years. And nice to see him finally get a trophy. Yeah, and I think it's got the point now where we've seen so many people win events. You know, when we saw Anthony and we saw Anthony Hamilton, that is, and... and um, we saw Mark King win. We realised you can't go around thinking that no people are not going to win anything anymore. And, and Brian was sure to win something in the end, and he did win in Riga. And it was uh, one of these tournaments that, you know, in the the British summertime, you know, it can be a bit tucked away. You might not notice it that much, but you know, it got him into the champion of champions. And uh, you know, he's right on the brink of 16 in the world, and you know, he's playing in the Masters because of it. So. You know, he, he's, he's a good player and he thoroughly deserved to win. Nice guy as well, sometimes a bit too nice, I think. Yeah. Well, talking of sort of hidden away, the World Cup uh, was was in the sort of British summer as well. Snooker's not really a team game, it never has been. And the World Cup, two-man teams. Um, it's a rather strange format as well. It's a lot of round-robin before we sort of get to the, the thrust of it at the end of it. But uh, in the end, it was a popular win, of course, in China for, for Ding and, and Liang Wenbo. Yeah, well, Snooker's not a team game and the World Cup's not a team game. It's just, as you say, cause it's two players. So that's never been a team, has it? it? You know, it's just a pairing, and uh, you know, you might as well just go back to the Hofmeister doubles, as we used to call it—the the event that used to take place in Northampton, the Derngate—and just pick any two players. They play a series of, uh, of uh, you know, frames against each other. But I think that the World Cup has to be teams of three. I don't think China should have two teams in it as well. I don't understand how that's possible, or how that works. Why should they? And nothing against China, of course. You know, the the game's thriving over there, but. I think it devalues the tournament a bit. You should be teams should be of three, and you know if you've got a slightly weak third player, as a few of these snooking countries would have, well, that's just the way it is. Surely, I don't think two players constitute a team. No, it, 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 I think the general feeling there is that you know it's a good thing to have a World Cup, but the format maybe isn't quite isn't quite right. And the World Cup, though, I like the idea, but mm. I just think that it's not a fair reflection of any you know, snookering country. Um, if uh, you just have it as two players, it just makes no sense to me. I think you should have the third player. I know that probably, you know, suit is an argument. It would suit England, but I'm not worried about who wins it at all. Actually, I think it's it's good that it was won by China, but I don't see why one team should have, well, should an A and a B team. I think that's strange, and I think there should be uh, three in a team at least, as it used to be. Yeah. Okay, well, another tournament that kind of passed under the radar a little bit in the UK certainly was the Hong Kong Masters. It wasn't on British TV, but it looked a great event. We weren't there, but Neil Robertson said it's well. He actually said it's his best moment in in the game was winning the final against Ronnie O'Sullivan because there was three thousand people in the in the stadium. He's beaten Ronnie in a big final, hundred grand check. Sounded brilliant. Yeah, and uh, that's in the Queen Elizabeth Stadium where I played there. I played in a final there against Jimmy White, which I lost. Um, way back, can't remember the year, but really good uh, arena and Hong Kong has been you know, deprived of snooker for too many years. You know, they've got Marco Fu, great player, and not enough tournaments and hopefully there'll be more in that part of the world now. I know that it was a bit of a makeshift event. I think the prize money was brilliant, as you heard, as you said, but um, you know, it's one of these tournaments that just shoved in quite late notice and uh, Let's hope that there's more in that part of the world, as I say, because Hong Kong got great memories of playing snooker over there. We played there a number of years in invitational events so when Barry was uh, my manager when he was the, the, in charge of matchroom, which is silly, but you know when he was more involved in in that side of it than he is now. 
We've had a few new champions in the last year, Mark King, Anthony Hamilton, Ryan Day, but none of them are young men. However, Luca Brussel is, and he broke through winning the China Championship in Guangzhou. One of those players, a bit like Trump a few years ago, very talented youngster, had a few setbacks in qualifying and maybe not coming through as quickly as people were expecting, but finally made it in style. Yeah, great to see Luca winning, I thought. Uh, really supporting him. I like him. Don't know him very well, um, but I think he brings a lot to the game, not only because he's a, a Belgian player, you know, uh, sort of uh, continental Europe. Uh, of, they really follow the game closely, but they've not had that many good players. He's one of them. He's very good. He's he's got off the ball slightly in the last few weeks, and I know that he, he missed one or two tournaments at the end of the season, but uh, well, end of the year rather. But great player uh, potentially, and uh, I think he adds an awful lot to the game. And he's one of these sort of young twenty-something players, and a lot of them have gone missing this year. And I, I know I keep on about it, but you know, early twenties—that's the kind of age you want to see people coming through. And at the moment, we've got a lot of players over forty still winning. Good to see a player from continental Europe as well. And yeah, he's got something about him, Luca. You know, he, I think he sort of fancies himself as a top player, which is good because sometimes you see a player reach the top 16 and you can see they're not quite sure they deserve to be there. I think he feels he is. Uh, he does deserve to be there and I think we'll see more success uh, from him. And of course, he won all those deciders as well, which, which was impressive. You went to the Paul Hunter Classic, Neil. What, what was that like? Yeah, I went over there. I enjoyed it actually. Um, it's. Uh, it's a fairly low-key event, I think, although well, I th certainly it, the format is, and the prize money's not huge, but there's a huge following of the game in Firth, and, um, well, I was there for a couple of reasons, but f as far as the, the men's event, it was Michael White who won it, beat Sean Murphy in the final. Murphy had turned up there, because that China Championship that Luca won only finished on the Tuesday. It was a strange start and finishing day, and uh, he was there on the Friday. You know, he, he travelled all the way uh, from... Uh, China, uh, Guangzhou was it? Mm. Guangzhou, yeah. Um, uh, he ended up in in Firth. I don't know how many trains, uh, uh, trains, planes, automobiles, whatever. <laughs> He'd been in loads of them, I think. Fresh as the days. He played well. Lost in his second final in a few days. I don't think too many people lost in two ranking finals in under a week, have they? I think it's almost impossible. But he did, he managed it. Uh, Michael White won it. And also, I was commentating on the uh, the the ladies' pool hunter final as well, and uh, Rianne Evans. Uh, played uh, Onyi and that, and Rianne won that, and uh, that was quite fun as well. So I enjoyed, but I enjoyed being over there. Great event, great following. Not everybody played in it, which is a bit of a shame, but I understand why. It's the busy part of the, the season. It's very hot over there as well. It was like it was late summer, and um, it was a good event. Good event. Okay, and yeah, and at this point, then the events come thick and fast, and we have John Higgins win, winning the Indian Open, Ding Junhui the World Open, Judd Trump the European Masters. Just players you expect to win titles, I guess, and, and it just shows how you know the tournaments are being shared around, but being shared around by big hitters. Yeah, that's right. And of course, um, you know, John Higgins winning in India that was a big deal, and Ants McGill was in the final of that again, wasn't he? Having won it before, so that was a good one yeah, for him. And uh, you know, he, he, like so many of these um, sort of slightly older elder statesmen of the game, he's still got everything that it takes. You know, he's still a great player, is John. Yeah, and of course at this stage Ronnie O'Sullivan had been quiet, hadn't really played very much but uh, he came back and just started to play unbelievable snooker he'd been on this this great run the English Open, I mean the, the final in particular against Karen Wilson is about as good as you can play isn't it? That's right, I mean I'm, I think we've got ourselves in our mind that these home nations events just about anybody could win and that's not any disrespect to the guys that won last year because you know the first two winners we had Wembo winning and then we had Mark King winning he thought well this is a bit of a free-for-all. Ultimately, it was Ronnie O'Sullivan who won it. Uh, got better as the week went on. Beat John Higgins along the way. And in the final, played 
Well, I don't think you can play any better. I mean, he beat Kyron Wilson 9-2, and he was playing good stuff. And he gave him, you know, the, the most almighty hiding. And in the evening, some of the snooker from 6-2 was just unbelievably good. So he was... Um, he was just hitting form. Mm. And I think he prepared himself. He decided, OK, I'm going to come back for this section of the season, which is about three months. I'm going to dedicate myself to basically not going to do anything else. He practised hard ahead of it. And we saw the the, the, the fruits of, of that labour come through. He didn't win the Champion of Champions. He lost to Sean Murphy, which was something of a surprise because he got a good record against him. But won the Shanghai Masters, then won record-equaling sixth UK Championship. And just uh, managing to grind out results. It wasn't all about trying to play the perfect game. It was about just getting the wins. Yeah, and that's something that um, you didn't thought about him doing before. But like everything else, you know, he's getting older, and uh, maybe he's understanding that uh, you can't always play at your best. But when he does play at his best, then he's better than anybody, isn't he? Mm, yeah. In the midst of all that, another, uh, I guess you've got to say, old timer, really, Mark Williams uh, winning the Northern Ireland Open. That was an interesting story. I mean, the, the, the week was full of shocks. We we, had, we got to quarterfinals day, and there were people there who, you know, some even snooker fans wouldn't have picked out of a lineup. But uh, in the end, the final was fascinating. You had Mark Williams looking to win first ranking title six and a half years, and Yan Bing Tao looking to become the youngest ever winner, and a great match as well. Yeah, and a great story, whoever won. It was one of those where you thought, well, you know, Mark winning again would have been nice. His wife Joanne had been poorly, and uh, you know he was over there, and I'm sure it was a great tonic that he managed to win that uh, tournament and uh, you know pick up his 19th ranking event. He must have wondered whether he was ever going to win anything else, but he shouldn't have done because he's, a, he's still a great player. As far as Bing Tao, I mean I think it would have been quite nice if he'd broken Ronnie O'Sullivan's record as the youngest ever ranking tournament winner. It's, for sure, his time will come, but and and, and even in, in matches he's played since, everyone who, who plays him and some of them beat him. Like Steve Maguire knocked him out uh, in uh, in Scotland and uh, in the Scottish, and he said well, he's going to be a great, great player. I don't think Maguire gives away compliments that easy. Yeah. So I think as long as he keeps doing what he's doing, he's sure to make uh, an impression. Yeah. Well, we can't say who's won the Scottish Open because we're recording this a halfway point in the final. Everyone listening in the future will will know already. Uh, but Chow Yu Peng's in the final, and it's he's another example of the way Chinese players. We mentioned Yan Bingta as well. I've started to come to the fore more. It's not just about Ding now. You know, Ding's won a title this season, but at other times he's bowed out early or sometimes pulled out of tournaments. But there's, there's strength in depth now in China. There's a lot of Chinese players on the tour <coughs> now, and uh, it, it's almost a numbers game in that there's so many of them that, you know, and they're all good and they're all hungry for success that you know, players like uh, Chao Yupeng are coming through. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I when he disappeared off the tour a couple of years ago, I was up in um, at Sheffield at the. Um, qualifiers doing the judgment day and he'd been knocked off the tour the night before he was sitting in the hotel just looking on his phone he must have looked really fed up and he came back and got back on through Q school did nothing last season but you know he's one of many that are clearly capable of winning and um, now I've been surprised by how well he's played in this tournament but uh, there's just too many Chinese players now without some of them coming through you know you've got your, your, your Zhao Gudong who's clearly a, a top player he could win something but plenty of others not only youngsters guys that are in their 20s that are just, just peaking I think yeah and they're very dedicated there's two academies in Sheffield there's the Victoria Academy which is right opposite the Crucible there's the Star Academy and the, the, most of them are based in one or the other they kind of live together they travel together so there's camaraderie there which Ding didn't have when he came over you know he, he sort of was homesick yes. he was on his own it makes a difference where you've got friends and you've got, I guess, also, you know, they're sort of spurring each other on. Be interested to see how that that dy dy dynamic develops in the, in the coming years. So, if we're thinking of a player of the year, a player of 2017, I mean, it comes down to two candidates, doesn't it? It comes down to Mark Selby, who's been world number one the whole year, 
He's been world champion. He's won a couple of other ranking titles as well, the International Championship, which we didn't mention, also the China Open. And Ronnie O'Sullivan, who's had this late spurt, uh, he started winning the Masters, and then this late spurt won the UK Championship and uh, a couple of other tournaments as well. Um, if you had to choose <laughs> between the two of them, who, who would be player of the year? Because the World Championship obviously does count for a hell of a lot. It does. I don't, you know, it's really difficult that because, as you say, uh, if, if you'd have told me after the World Championships that you're going to be thinking about Ronnie as being player of the year, you'd have thought, well, that's just something about the fact that he's got all this charisma. But he's been winning. He's been winning a lot, you know. He was a, a very, just a couple of shots away from going nine all in the champion of champions. And in the meantime, you know, he's won the UK, he's won the English, and he's he's also won in Shanghai. So uh, at the moment, I'm favouring Ronnie as, as the player of the year, but. Only because Mark's form seems to have turned off a little bit, but look, it's very difficult one. That I don't want to upset either player because I think they're both very good in their own ways. But I just I've got a lot of admiration for the way that Ronnie's come back winning, and um, he always does it in such great style. So I'm going to go with Ronnie. Um, just yeah, I think that's probably just about right. Although I'm sure the Mark Selby fans would disagree. Well, as we head into the new year. I guess it's going to be more of the same, isn't it? We're going to expect the titles to be shared around. The real interest, though, comes in the big events, you know, the real showpiece occasions, the Masters, the World Championship coming up in the new year. Um, it's hard to sort of predict who's going to win at the Crucible right now, but again, you know, Selby and O'Sullivan, they're probably going to be in different halves of the draw. They're one and two at the moment. That would be great if they met in another final. Well, that would be the final right now that you'd love to see. Great contrast. There's plenty of other players that could do well. I mean, Ding's been doing a lot better in the World Championships the last two or three years, so he would hopefully be playing well enough by then to uh, figure, because he had a bit of an up and down season, Ding, hasn't he? He's, you know, um, certainly his form's been a bit in and out, but um, yeah, he, he would have a chance. Obviously, Judd, people would be talking up Judd Trump, but um, you know, I'd love to see him win it. I would love to see Judd Trump become world champion, but I was disappointed with him last year at the Crucible, and um, well, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But right now, Selby clearly is the man to beat um, but if he could win it four times in the last five years then you're talking you, you're going up you know you talk about the domination of the almost of the Hendries and the and the Davises aren't you that that would be another big step for him absolutely well it's going to be another very busy year 2018 more tournaments and plenty more drama more podcasts as well more importantly uh, Neil Merry Christmas to you and to you and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone listening and we will return in 2018 Sports Social Podcast Network